Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. chapter 5 we're going back to verse 22 again this evening and um, ask the Lord to touch the word to our heart I have enjoyed I was telling a pastor friend of mine today that I was have been teaching for several weeks on the gifts of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit and um, I told him today I said I have enjoyed studying this myself again and uh, to just unearth some things that uh, that are just jewels in the Word of God. And so no matter how long we've been walking this way, I want to understand the value of what God is trying to develop in us. And uh, it's not about just someone initial experience of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, as important as that is, as, as important as baptism and, and receiving the Holy Ghost is to us, I think what we cannot ever lose sight of is that God wants us to become what his word says that we can be. And so that goes beyond just one date, one initial experience, or one series of services, but to become. And so tonight we're going to be talking about that, uh, that aspect of this, becoming what God would have us to be. In the book of Galatians 5 and 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And tonight I want to be talking about goodness and um, I pray that the Lord will help us to understand the importance of this. Amen. The importance of this. And you may be seated in the fear of the Lord. In Matthew, Matthew 12 and 35 records these words. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. Seems a little bit redundant. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. The rest of that verse says, And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. So it just is going to depend on what bag we're reaching into. It will depend on what we're trying to develop in our lives. And so a good man from good treasure will bring forth good things. That sounds like the man I want to become. That sounds like the person that I want to become. Just last week we were talking about, we were talking about gentleness or kindness. And often these two terms or these two things, goodness, has often been linked together with the word kindness. And on the surface, it would seem that these are the same words or they could mean the same thing. But when you dig a little bit deeper into this word, we find something just a little more weighty. And so the Apostle Paul wasn't just 
throwing out words for the sake of throwing out words, but of the inspiration, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. They begin to write, and so that's why we can't just lump everything together and think, well, it's, this is how it is. It's important that we, that we slow down from time to time and, and, and look at this one at a time because here the word goodness is not just talking about being good on the surface, but it refers and reflects to moral purity, purity of the heart, purity of the motive, our spirit. It not only means to be pleasing to God, but it also means to be pleasing to others. And that's important because we live in a society today that, that seems to imply that it just doesn't matter about my fellow man. I'll just do whatever I want to do. But the Lord said, I want you to develop something in your heart. The, the, the Holy Ghost should bear this kind of fruit that we care not only about pleasing God, but we want to please as much as we can those around us. There are two components there are two components to this goodness, the first of which, of course, I mentioned moral goodness, and that's living after the law of God and the principles of God and, and embracing that, pulling that into our life and saying, I want this to be the compass of my, my own spirit. It refers to moral excellence. And so this is a godly control of our morals and our lifestyle, what we do, and it matters. And so... Uh, it, it, it's not just teenagers that are faced with moral issue, issues, not just people in their 20s that are faced with moral decisions, ethical decisions. It's not just people in their 30s or their 40s that are faced with lifestyle choices, but all throughout our life, these things affect us. They, uh, there's never, there will never be a time or a place that we will not be under the load or the responsibility of what we're talking about here this evening. It would be somewhat ludicrous to say the least to claim to be filled with the Holy Ghost and yet have corrupt morals and live a corrupt lifestyle because bitter water and fresh water cannot come out of the same well. There's a huge conflict of interest and so there needs to be not just people boasting about possessing the Holy Ghost and, and uh, having this kind of experience or that kind of experience. These things ought to, uh, they ought to creep out in our conversations there ought to be vapors and there ought to be something about just the way we live and conduct ourselves and how we treat one another and not just one another as just one another here in the church, but how we treat our fellow men. It's interesting to note that we've been talking a lot about the fruit of the Spirit and we've been going to Galatians 5 and 22, but it's interesting to note that before Paul ever mentioned anything about the fruit of the Spirit, he listed the works of the flesh. My, what a contrasting list this is to the fruit of the Spirit. And so let's just back up for the sake of comparison tonight in Galatians 5 and 19. The Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Here's a horrible list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, which is another word for contention, heresies, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And so Paul is emphatically stating, no commentary necessary here. He says, this is the work of the flesh. And then he gives a list, but he adds, and such like. So this is not an exhaustive list. Here's a list of principles. And, uh, and so he said, and such like. And so those that embrace this shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul leaves absolutely no question and then gives us a list to difference or differentiate, if I may say, the difference between works of flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Another component of goodness that, that Paul speaks about is practical goodness, not just moral goodness, but practical goodness. And that's when we apply godly morals because sometimes we can know things but not apply them to our lives. We have to apply godly morals and lifestyles in our dealings with other people. And so that's practical goodness, how we treat those around us. Many people profess to have good morals, but they live a life that is completely opposite of that. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon said in the 23rd chapter of Proverbs, verses 6 and 7, Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats, or in other words, his delicacies. Don't desire that. He said, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. And so what we really are on the inside absolutely will manifest itself on the outside. There is absolutely no denying that. What we really are in here will manifest itself eventually on the outside. No way around that principle. And so Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 12 and 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, that is a very arresting passage of Scripture to me. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so I've got to make sure that my heart is right. I've got to make sure that my heart is right. I've got to make sure that my inner man is right. Cleanse me, not just from sin, but from iniquity. Not just sins of action and deed, but I want you to help me, Lord, with sins of thought and intent. Amen. I want you to help me with that inner man, not just what I'm doing with these arms and legs and where these feet are going, what these ears are listening to or these eyes are, are beholding, but I want you to help this inner man to help me of not just actions and deed, but thought and intent. I want you to help me with my motive. My motive must be right. And so when Paul said that the works of the flesh are manifest, what really Paul is saying is, is that the works, of the works of the flesh are publicly known. They're going to be out there for the world to see. There is no denying that. And then by then exhorting us to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, he's also saying the same thing, that he's exhorting us to make this fruit publicly known. It ought to be evident in our lives because the fruit of the flesh, amen, the fruit of the flesh is there. That's there for the world to see, and so the fruit of the Spirit ought to be there for the world to see. The word goodness speaks of virtue and, and, and integrity, and that has sort, sort of been the, the, the emphasis of this. To even start this series, my very first lesson was about integrity and our character and, and that we must be what we claim to be, and, and this is a mandate of the Word of God. These are not just suggestions that, that we can work on if and when we have time but to truly be what, what we claim to be. I, I, I don't want to throw a negative spin on this at all, but I think probably most, if not all of us, have met people 
that we admired from a distance, but the closer you got to them, you really began to see things about them that you didn't know were there. And, and wasn't that disappointing? By the same token, by the same token, we have admired people from a distance and the closer we got to them, we realized that it was real. That this is not a facade. This is not a Sunday, Wednesday thing for them. This is not just when they're in the public eye thing for them. But, uh, but just one-on-one, when there's no one around truly to, to judge or there's no one around to analyze, that this is just who this person is and it's so refreshing to be around someone that they really are that. They, they really are everything that you thought they were going to be. I have been with close friends that uh, we have shared time away together and to see that, that when they get up in the morning, they're, uh, they're, sitting, they're sitting there with their Bible in their hand. Amen. To get up early and, and to, to, to walk in uh, wherever we may be staying and, and, you, and you see one of your friends nailed at the couch and they're in prayer. They're not doing that to impress me. They're doing that because that's who they really were. They didn't know, what, they didn't know that someone was going to walk in and see that. And so when you find that somebody is really, really, truly what they, they claim to be or ought to be, how refreshing, how refreshing that is. And so it ought to be, it ought to be the goal of every one of us to, to have to be a man, a woman of character, that our virtue and our integrity would be known to the world. And so this lets us know that it's really not defined by just acts. It's not just defined by things that we do, good gestures or kind deeds, but it's something that's in the heart because evil people, evil men can do good things. And so, so it needs to be, it depends on what their motive is. I know that may sound uh, like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but evil people could do something charitable or notable, but maybe for a completely different reason or wrong motive. And so it's defined what, by what motivates our actions. It's not what we do, but it's why we do what we do. And so then we see then that goodness goes way beyond just outward acts of kindness. And I've I know I've mentioned this several times throughout this series and and I'm sure beyond that, but we just can't do enough good things to be right. It's got to be in our heart, our heart to be right. And so here's what we have to understand, that there is a huge difference between doing good and being good. I don't want to just do good, I want to be good. And so our, you know, our kind of, our families are the barometer because they see us at our best, and they certainly see us at our worst. And so we must reach for and strive for, if I could use this as an illustration, for uh, not, the, not the, the general public, John Q. Public, to have respect for us, but for those who live under the same roof with us to have respect for us. Now there's a challenge, for, because they see us with our morning hair. <laughs> And, and that could probably be a pretty frightening thing depending on the circumstances. And so they know us at our worst. They see us at our weakness. They see us when we're, when we're not at the top. We're the, we're they, they see us at the very worst of circumstances and situations. And if we can be a person of integrity that's someone that our children could respect because you see the whole community can respect you but if your children don't respect you, you've got a real big, big, big problem. Amen. And so I want to be not just the person that does good, but I want to be that good person. And so the Bible says that the value 
in, in the again in the book of um, Proverbs, Solomon refers and he's he speaks about a woman, of course, in 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 uh, Proverbs thirty one. But I think these values could bleed over. I'm not trying to take away from the virtuous woman at, at all. But but Solomon talks about the value of a woman. He said, who has virtue and integrity of character. Solomon said, that is more precious than precious jewels, or that is more valuable than precious jewels. Proverbs 31, this chapter, of course, is uh, uh, speaks of a virtuous woman, but Verse 10 specifically says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? And so it's the virtue, the virtue that we're looking for. Again, if goodness is so vital to our walk with God, like I said last Wednesday night about kindness, then then how do we get this? Well, here's the key. You don't just get it. You can't buy it. You can't order it. You can't spray it on. It's something that has to be developed, much like the rest of what we're talking about. It's the beginning place. That starting place. And so the starting place to develop goodness is to understand that at the the very core of all of this, there is none good but God. That in me there is really no no good thing. And I'm not trying to demoralize anyone, but that's where we have to start. That I'm not going to be good because of who I am. I'm not going to be good because of, of, of anything in this world you know, I think it was the rich young ruler that was reminded of this fact when he approached the Lord about inheriting the kingdom of God. When he complimented Jesus by calling him the good master, Jesus was quick to question him as to why he was calling him good. He further stated that there was none good, none good but God. So that is the starting point, the realization that any goodness that we have, if there's any goodness in us, it's going to be a gift from God. It's going to be something that he placed there. And, uh, you know, when, when we're reading through the Bible every year, it, I, I just, I, I think we were, Brother Gibson and I were talking about this a few weeks ago, that it's just amazing to me to be reminded that when the Lord needed something, he put that talent in the hands of a man. And so when God needed a goldsmith, he said, you, sir, I'm going to give the ability to be a goldsmith. And when God needed someone to cut stone or be a carpenter, God gave that those abilities or a musician or a songwriter or whatever it may be. God gave those gifts. And how, as we begin to read this in the beginning books of the Bible and we begin to see as God is placing all of this structure and putting everything in place, it reminds us that it's God that is at the core and the center of all this. But what happens in time is that we look at the end product of our hands or we look at the end product of what we think we have done and we think that we accomplished this. It was, it was just us. It was my hands, my ingenuity, my abilities and not realizing that that gift, if there's anything good, it's going to come from God. It's, that's the starting place we receive that from the Lord. The Bible says in Matthew seven eleven, if ye then being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And so here he calls us right out of the gate, calls us evil. That's a little offensive, isn't it? He said, if you that are evil, you that are fleshly, you that are carnal, if you have enough foresight to give good gifts to your children, then how much more do you think that I could give to you? Luke 12 and 31, the Bible says, But rather seek you the kingdom of God, and, and these things shall be added unto you. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants us to have the keys in our lives to succeed. Amen. This, the, the keys in our life, he, it's his good pleasure to give us what we need to make it. And so we develop goodness by, uh, A, amen, we have to get into the word of God, study his word. And then it's not just enough to know this word, but we have to implement this word in our life. We have to become the word of God. The psalmist David makes several concise statements about this process. And I'm going to be reading several passages here, so just follow along if you will. Psalms 119 and 9, the scripture says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. How could we ever change our way or cleanse our way? He said, you're going to have to do that by the word of God. Psalms 119 and 11, David said, we quote often, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Not just something that we have uh, some head knowledge of, but I've got to get this in my heart. I've got to get this in my heart. Again, 119, 101, I've refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Amen. This is more, your word is more important than me walking wherever I want to walk, doing whatever I want to do. I want to keep, I want to keep your word. Again, uh, the 119th Psalm, verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The 133rd verse says, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. The word, the word, the word, the word, the word. We will never outgrow the word. We will never get to the point where the word will no longer have significance or relevance in our life. It's the word of God that we just hide in our heart. You know, when I was growing up, we have the bread program today, but when I was growing up, I can remember in our home we had uh, a little little ceramic, if I remember right, or maybe plastic or something of that nature. It looked like a little loaf of bread. And it just had scriptures, and you just went pull one of those scriptures out, and and uh, that was just daily bread. It was just to read those verses. You guys, some of you are shaking your head. You must be as old as I am. And I can just remember just pulling those little cards out and reading a verse. Somebody had a verse on the front and the back, and and you could just read those promises, the Word of God. And so, no matter how minuscule the Word, if it's just one verse or if it is one chapter or one book. Amen, that word that you get in your heart. I've shared this story with you before, but I, can't, I cannot emphasize or overemphasize where I was this particular juncture in my life. I needed an answer from the Lord. I had prayed diligently time and time and time again, asking the Lord for, I just needed, I needed an answer. And so I, I was just that constant knocking and that constant seeking. And, and uh, some time before then, we had preached for someone, and there was a little lady in their church that it was just her custom that uh, when there was a guest speaker, she would always make a bookmark. She had very beautiful handwriting, and she would write out one verse of Scripture, and she was pretty artistic, maybe draw some flowers or something on that. She would have those little things laminated. you remember that? And she would always give you one when you were there. And so I had one of those in my Bible. I was, I, I was down on the floor praying. I was just laying out before the Lord. I had my Bible there with me. And I was praying about that again as a, a part of my prayer. And it was just like the Lord prompted me. I had read that, that bookmark when she had, had given it to me. But 
You know, it was just a verse. It, was, it had become a bookmark. And then all of a sudden, I just felt prompted of the Lord to, to find that bookmark. And I, I got it out of my Bible, and I read that verse. And that verse of Scripture was not an answer. It was the answer. And that was it. It was there all along. Amen. She had taken the time to handwrite it out with a pencil and made it look really pretty and flowers and laminated. It was there all along. But whether or not, whether or not it had been on a bookmark or whether or not it had little flowers drawn or been laminated, that word was still in that book. The answer was still there. And so the word of God, no matter how minuscule it may be, what I mean by that, you may just read one verse, one half of a verse, but don't discount the word of God. And so that's how we begin to develop goodness, the Word of God. We have to study the Word of God for ourselves. And what I mean by that, I'm not just talking about what we're doing tonight, but I'm talking about on our own, our own time and, and getting along with God and just kind of turning down the noise of life and then implementing that Word because we become accountable once we know. And then goodness, we have that developing in our life, but now we've got to express that because it's a fruit. It should show, it should reveal itself. And so the only way that we can hope to manifest goodness in our life is first to allow God to manifest it through us. Allow God to shine in us. This happens when we obey His Word. This happens when we submit ourselves to His will and His Word. This happens when we yield ourselves to His Spirit. This happens when we live according to the Word of God because we can't live in conflict to this and have this fruit manifested in our life. So I need to obey His Word. I need to submit to Him and His Word. I have to yield myself to His Spirit. I've got to live every day according to His Word, not just when it's convenient. Goodness is a progression, if I may say, of purity. And it begins with the inner man. And I think there's a real danger. I believe in an outward holiness I hope that that is not just something I say with my lips, but I hope I say it every day with my life. I believe that we should live a life separate from the world. I think we ought to dress different, walk different, talk different, think different. That ought to manifest itself on the outside. But I'm going to tell you something, that there is a huge danger when you just get it on the outside and don't get it on the inside. That is probably the most dangerous person walking the planet because they've got all the trappings of it on the outside, but inside they're full of evil. It can be, can be very, very evil. And so goodness is a progression of purity that begins with the inner man. And then as it begins in the inner man, lest anybody think that I'm minimizing the outer man, it will manifest itself. It will reveal itself. It will show what we think is how we will live. If you think it is right to tell the truth, you will tell the truth. If you think it is right not to steal, you will not steal. Amen. But if we have a conflict of that in our heart, it will reveal itself. And so it not only will reveal itself to God, but it also will reveal itself to others around us. And so that's what the Word of God refers to when it talks about good works or that expression of goodness. And so if a man is truly good on the inside, then, then there is going to be a desire to express that goodness outwardly and doing so as a witness to his faith or her faith in God. And so James deals with this. He says that if a man professes to have faith but does not express that, then his faith is dead. 
Faith without works is dead. James 2 and 20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? We can profess all sorts of things with our lips, but at some point we have to rise to the challenge and live that out and do that. Matthew 12 and 35 says, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. Our text, if our heart is not good, then there's no good that's going to come out of our lives. Again, James, I mentioned this a moment ago, but James 3 and 11, the Bible says, Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh water. We have to be real. And I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence here tonight, but the world is watching. And they know whether we're real or not. They know whether we know. They're watching and they, they understand. And so the philosophy of the world, not just in the 21st century, I think the philosophy of the world has always been, if it feels good, just do it. And don't worry about it. Just, just do whatever you want to do. Amen. This thinking does not take into account others around us. People say, I just, I just want to do my own thing. Well, that would be all right if you lived on your own planet. But since you don't, and since I don't, then what I think and what I do, that affects other people around me. And so I have to take that into account. And so if I want to drive 90 miles an hour down the road, I need to take into account others around me. Amen. And so it will affect other people in our life. And so we have to consider that. Goodness, have you ever stayed in a motel room? Anybody? Don't you just love it when you stay in the motel room beside those people that know how in the middle of the night when they check in at 2 in the morning just to gently shut the door? To walk quietly down the hallway? <laughs> I mean, if you enjoy that, I'd like for you to give me their names. I like to, I've not met them yet, but I would love to meet them because we always stay next door to the people. that They're the only ones there. They're the absolute only ones in the entire place. I don't know what all those cars in the parking lot are, but the, we're the only ones here. And uh, <laughs> no consideration for the people around you. Amen. Well, I'm just going to meander on now that I've gotten that off of my chest. <laughs> Goodness, according to the word of the Lord, <laughs> we'll always consider other people first. Let's just think about how this would play out for somebody else. Paul said to the church in, in Philippians, he said, Philippians 2 and 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man at his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Do unto others. You'd have them do unto you. You ever been in the buffet line and you can see just, you can just see two or three slots ahead that they're almost running out of fried chicken? They're not out of fried chicken in the kitchen. They're not out of fried chicken in the fryer. They're just out of fried chicken in that pan. And the guy in front of you feels compelled to get all four pieces because <laughs> they may not make any more. All these people to my left didn't even know you were standing there. That's the world we live in. Don't think about somebody next door beside you, how this will affect somebody else. 
But he said we ought to esteem others better than ourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Consider how this will play out in the lives of those down the line. How will this affect my wife or my husband or my children or, or, or my family? Galatians 6 and 1, what a very powerful verse or verses, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. And, and I've, I've often pointed out, but please let me do it again tonight, that this is the only mention in, in the entire Bible about spiritual people. This is the only place that you're going to find underlined in this fashion at least. The Bible says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Ye which are spiritual. Here's what the spiritual do. He said the spiritual are those that roll up their pants legs and walk out in the mud. The spiritual are those that roll up their sleeves and, and get their hands down in the mire. He said, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This is not complicated. What he's saying is this could be you. This could be you. This could be you. There was a little video on uh, somebody posted a little video on Facebook today, and it had uh, maybe three or four, uh, three or four men who were riding a bike. They were bi- looked to be professional cyclists from another country, and uh, they were riding their bikes in in a, a semi. And this was the emphasis of the video, but a semi came past them and actually clipped all of them. And uh, maybe some of you saw that today. And the emphasis was about the the semi that got out of his lane, clipped these innocent bikers, and uh, and just kept going. But here's what I noticed, and I watched it twice. I wanted to make sure. Because the, the man who was videoing with a, the camera on his helmet, the man in front of him was the man that took the brunt force of the impact. And it, the semi did not run over him, literally, but it, it did injure him if you've seen the video I don't know if you have or not but here's my point that the other man is videoing this and it's not just video but it's audio too and so when when this calamity happens you can hear the man behind him that now behind him who took the brunt force he is just moaning in agony and the man that is videoing this this is what I notice you can hear this man moaning and groaning in the background and he gingerly takes his bike over and while this man is moaning in the background and finds somewhere he can just lean his bike up against this post where it won't get scratched. <laughs> and his, his buddy is just rolling around on the street. He just got hit by a semi. But I don't want to get my bike scratched. <laughs> wow. Wow, you were thinking about where am I going to put my bike? How hard would that be to turn this around? This could be you. You wouldn't want your buddy worried about scratching his bicycle. So I, I realize it was probably he probably didn't you know buy it at Walmart or whatever. But nevertheless, considering yourself is my point. Let me move on. Verse number two. Here it is. The weightier part of this equation. Bear ye one another's burdens. And he said, when you do this, you have fulfilled the law of Christ, and so fulfill the law of Christ. One man said said it best when he penned these words. He said, too often we underestimate the power of touch, the power of a smile, the power of a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, 
all of which would have the potential to turn life around. And too often we minimize those small things that would make such a huge difference. I remember a, a few years ago reading an article. It was, it was a, an article to parents. And I, I thought what a sad barometer this article was of the day and the age that we were living in because the article written to mothers and fathers were admonishing them of the value of touching your children. To hold you, remember that, to hold them, to, to care for them. So why would you have to tell a mother or a father to the value of touching your children, to, to hold them, to let them know that you're, this is the safest place that you could ever be? And so to underestimate the power of a touch or a smile, a kind word, an honest compliment, or just a small act, those things may turn the entire pinnacle of that day for that person, or you, it may turn the, their week or their month. There are biblical principles, I think, that can, that can guide us in expressing goodness. We were created, I believe, to manifest the ways of God through good works in the world. And so Paul speaks specifically to this in Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so when we do good through honesty and integrity, we are just expressing to the world the spirit of God. Amen. God in us, reflecting in us. John, the third John, verse number eight, the Bible says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth evil, he that which is, I'm sorry, he that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Jesus said, a good servant is going to use your talent, you'll use your blessings that God has given you for the benefit of others. And, you know, as we've been reading through Proverbs, I've noticed again, the Bible admonishes us not to withhold something from somebody, especially when it's in your power to give it to them. When you have the ability to help and you don't help, when you have the ability to give and you don't give, when you have the ability to be there and we're not there, what a shame, what a shame that is. And so Jesus said that good servant is going to use those talents to help others. Matthew 25 and 21, his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou, hast, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. It's what we do with what God has given us. John Wesley had this rule for his own life. This is what he said. Do all the good you can. Be all, by all means, I'm sorry. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Amen. That's the person we want to live beside. That's the person we want our children to marry. That's the person that we want to be with. Amen. We express goodness by helping those in need. The scripture says in Matthew 25, 37, then shall the, right, then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, I want you to read this, if you will, with me, not literally out loud, but read this with the bewilderment in your spirit as it was here. Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? When saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? 
And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. When, when did all this take place? We don't remember. They took that literal. We don't remember. He said, When you did this to the least, you were doing this unto me. The story of the Good Samaritan, and I hasten on, is probably a prime example of, of goodness being manifested. And so for the sake of time, I want to just read a few points of interest in this familiar story. The Bible says in Luke 10, 33, a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and talking about the man that had been beaten and robbed. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And there, there was the deal maker right there, compassion. He saw him and had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And so here are the bullet points from these scriptures here. He took the time to recognize the need. He bound up wounds. He made sure that he was in a safe place. He provided for his care, and then he was willing to do even more. When I come back through, whatever you spend, I will repay you. This was, it cannot be lost to us. This was a stranger. This was someone that he did not know. But the Lord took this story to to a complete new level. Amen. When we express goodness, Jesus said, when we love our enemies, not just strangers, but enemies. Now, it's going to get real tough right here, and chances are, if history is any indicator of anything at all, it may even get a little bit quiet right here. But Romans 12 and 20 says, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, not through ill motive, But in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Because if anybody knows that he is undeserving, it's him. If anybody knows that you ought to have walked right on by, it's that person. But they see you being kind, not just for glory, but because it's real. Matthew 5 and 44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is tough stuff. That's not lost to me. This is tough stuff. It's so easy to say this. It's so easy to read this. But to live this out, that is an altogether different animal. Luke 6 and 28 says, Bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. And and unto them that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And to him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that take away thy goods, ask, ask them not again. Tough, tough, tough stuff. Because we live in a world that tells us and teaches us the complete opposite of this. And then it seems as though that he get tur- gets turned up just a little bit. And in Luke 6, continuing there in Luke 6, he said, and, and as you would that men should do unto you, do also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what think of you? It's not hard to love people that love you. But for sinners also love those that love them. 
And if you do good to them which do good to you, what think have you? For sinners also do even the same. It's not difficult to do that. Not at all. And so it's developing this in our life. Allowing God to allow, allowing God to, to manifest himself through our life, through goodness, through goodness. Amen. I want to ask you to stand and we'll close with this final story. A king organized a great race within his kingdom and all the young men of the kingdom participated. A bag of gold was going to be given to the winner and the finish line was within the courtyard of the king's palace. So the race was run and the runners were surprised to find that in the middle of the road leading to the king's palace was this tremendous pile of rocks and stones. But they managed and scrambled over it, around it, somehow eventually making their way to the courtyard. Finally, when all the runners had crossed the finish line, the king noticed they were all there but one. And so the king would not call the race off because the one had not returned. And so in a few moments, one long runner came through the gate. He lifted up his one, one bleeding hand and he said, I'm sorry that I'm late, but I found in the road a pile of rocks and stones and it took me a while, but I wanted to remove them out of the path of my friends. In the process of this, I wounded myself, but then he lifted up his other hand. He said, but what I found when I was removing these stones was this bag, and when I looked in this bag was the gold. This was where the answer was. The gold wasn't the king's palace, and the king, he said this, you have won the race, for that one runs best who makes the way safer for others to follow. And so you took time to make it easier on everybody else. You didn't lose, you won, because there you found the gold. And so tonight, in doing the right thing, sometimes the world thinks that we're losing, but we're not losing. We're winning. Amen. Let's see if we can get this word in our heart. Can we do that? Amen. Lord, I'm asking you to seal this word within us this evening. Would you allow what we have studied tonight, would you allow the passages that we have read not to just flash <clears throat> across our mind, the screen of our mind, but, oh, Lord, let us grab this word and let us hold it. Let us make it a part of who we are to live this out every day. A much greater challenge than to just read it, but, God, you'll give us strength to do that. And our faith and our confidence is in you tonight. And I pray your spirit and blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.